This is the text that we've got for this for today. <clears throat> it comes from Luke. It goes like this. Jesus looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury at the temple. He also saw a poor widow. She put in two small copper coins. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, she has put in all that she had to live on. Some of them were speaking about the temple and how beautiful it was, adorned in stones and gifts dedicated to God. And Jesus said to them, As for these things that you see around you, the days will come when no stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. And they said to him, Teacher, when will this be? And how can this be a sign that we will see for when it takes place? And he said to them, Don't be led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the one and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place. The end will not follow immediately. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from the heaven. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that destruction has come. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those inside the city must leave, and those out in the country must not enter. For these are the days of vengeance. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress. They will fall by the sword and be taken away as captives. And Jerusalem will be trampled on. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and distress among the nations, confused by the roaring of the seas and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming. Then he told him his parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So when you see all these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is also near. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not my words. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Well, maybe. I mean, who wants to hear this on a Sunday morning? The sun's shining, it's a beautiful day. I don't want to hear this. That's what the news is for. Night after night after night, when half our country is up in flames. But this is what's called apocalyptic literature. And the ancient world was very keen on it. There was lots of it around. There's quite a a number of chunks of it in the Bible and all over the ancient world. It was about forecasting doom. It's spoken of usually in times of huge turmoil. Something terrible is about to happen. And given our history, pretty much you could say apocalyptic literature would fit in anywhere at any time. This particular thing 
was spoken of in the moment of brutal oppression by an occupation force in the country of Israel, the Romans. It was written down about 80 years after this happened. This, these, these words were spoken, I mean. It was written down about, about 80 years later. But about 70 years later, after the words were spoken and before they were written down, destruction did come to the world, particularly the world of the Jews. The temple was destroyed. The temple was one of the largest structures in the known world. And for us, it was sort of part church, um, part law court, part parliament, part stock exchange, part university, part shopping mall. It was the centre of everything. We have those things separated, but they weren't. They were all one thing. And what Jesus prophesied, what he said might happen, did happen. Now, it wasn't hard to pick that happening. Just like the New South Wales fire chief picked 18 months ago that this year would be a horrendous year for fires in the, up the East Coast. Because he's a genius? Not so much. Because he's a prophet and can see the future? I don't think so. But because he looked at the situation the way it was and what was coming and the way the climate was changing and he saw what was likely to be obvious. Now, he might have been wrong about this year, it might have been next year, it doesn't matter. It's easy to pick when you pay attention. So not only was Jerusalem completely destroyed and it was no longer a city after that until basically the beginning of the 20th century. It was just completely destroyed. At the same time, Mount Vesuvius erupted a few years later. So this was happening in 70 AD and in 79 AD, nine years later, Vesuvius erupted, destroying Pompeii and Herculean and a number of other cities of that area and put into put into the atmosphere, I have to read this because I never can quite believe it, a hundred thousand times the thermal energy as that released by the bombs that the Allies dropped on Helsinki, uh, sorry, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. A hundred thousand times. So when you talk about cataclysmic events, these two things together, the world was in a mess and it must have felt like the end of the world, which we've spent the last 200 years digging up in Pompeii to look at it and understand the terror that they must have been in. But it went so much broader than that. But so what? That was 2,000 years ago. But we're really keen on apocalyptic literature too. Here's this quote, very recent quote. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Greta Thunberg? September this year at the UN Climate Action Summit. That's not the whole of the speech. It's very short. There's only a few paragraphs either side of that. If you haven't heard it, you might want to go to the doctor and get your earwax cleared out because most of us have been aware of this. And I wouldn't need to read to you any of the headlines out of the last couple of days' papers. Not only about what's happened on the east coast of Australia, for many of us, happened to friends and family and people we love, but any other newspaper, any other 
website will tell you what's happening. Things are changing. That you either accept that climate change is now an existential threat to the entire planet, or you're living in Funberg's fairy tale world. So we know about apocalyptic literature. We also know how we often deal with it. One of the things is some of us lie to ourselves to make ourselves feel better. It's really overblown. The current uh, bushfires are not caused by climate change. And of course, no one can prove one way or the other. We've always had horrendous bushfires in this country, particularly since we've ignored indigenous land care practices and just decimated the place for the last 200 years. Of course, we've had terrible bushfires. So it's easy to pretend and hope for the best by pretending it's not happening or it's not as bad as people are saying or really they've overblown it and, and really it's, it's all going to be okay. Either because we'll come up with a technological fix that will save us or because many of us are going to be dead before there's a real problem. It's going to be our grandchildren. Or we take the old classic which is blame the messenger, attack the messenger, which Donald Trump, of course, and Scott Morrison have both done with Funberg. Uh, she's a woman, she's young, she's Swedish, she's a vegan, I don't know. But anyway, it's much better to attack the messenger than to come face to face with the message. So what, what do we do if we take this seriously? How do we get up in the morning, I don't know about you, but for the last two years, when I wake up in the morning and I look at my newsfeed on my computers, I can't have a sense of dread because while I've been asleep, Donald Trump has been awake. <laughs> now you, and I know you're laughing, but it's not funny, is it? Like, I wonder, what the hell has he said now? And what has what he said put something terrible into action? Did the world end while I was napping? You know, that's the kind of feeling that I'm getting more and more. And there's, uh, there's actually work being done out of the University of Melbourne on how people are dealing with this, the fact that there's this existential sense of dread all the time about what we're doing to the world. And it's been highlighted for us and heightened for us, of course, with the bushfires that we're watching ravish whole sections of the country, not just the east, but in the west too. And we know, we know it's just luck that it's not us at this point. How we take that, how do we live seriously, but how do we also live hopefully? Maybe the last little paragraph of this terrible reading that we've had, this little image of the trees sprouting. Of course, in some parts of the world with climate change, the trees are sprouting later and other parts they're sprouting earlier. Farmers will tell you that the, the whole pattern of when they do things is shifting all over uh, Australia. But what Jesus wants to tell us in this is that this is, there is a sign of hope in this brief tiny little thing of leaves budding on trees. And we've just, right in the middle of experiencing it, we had winter and now we've got spring and we're heading into summer and these things have come alive. There is a moment of hope. 
This painting on the wall is a famous painting, not so, so much anymore, but uh, during the early part of the 19th century, uh, sorry, the 20th century, it was a, a very famous painting. It was painted in 1886. It's called Hope, uh, and it's by uh, George Frederick Watts, a, a British painter, and uh, this version of it, that he painted a couple of versions. This one hangs in the Tate Gallery, uh, the, the British, British Tate Gallery, or Tate Britain, I think it's called, um, in London, and it, it's done differently than most other paintings about hope. This one has a woman slumped on a globe, we don't know much about the globe, and she's sort of leaning in, she's blindfolded, uh, and, and she's leaning into a lyre, which you probably can't see on this image, but there's one string left on it. And Teddy Roosevelt used to have this painting on the wall of his mansion uh, up the Hudson um, to remind himself that when things went bad, as they did a number of times during Roosevelt's life and his presidency, there was one string left of hope. Martin Luther King preached a sermon on it, and that sermon was picked up and reimagined in the 1990s by another uh, pastor. And he was preaching that sermon, and in the congregation of that sermon was Barack Obama, who then took this idea of hope and named his autobiography and branded his campaign as the audacity of hope. Just this one little string left, but even in that moment, we can have hope. And one of the things Obama said a number of times before his presidency, as he was leading up to it, uh, in a number of speeches, was that this hope... And I'm sure this is what Jesus would be saying here. It can't be just individual. If it's just down to you, just your little bit of recycling, your little bit of driving a bit less, it's, it's pointless, it's hopeless. If you're the only one hoping, then you can't survive. But if we do it as a community, if the community hopes... So when Jesus is talking, he's talking to a group of people. He's talking to us. If we hope, then we can face the truth with all the horrors that we just read about. Not ignore them. Not pretend they'll go away. Not eat, drink and be merry and hope that we don't have to think about it. Not blame the messenger. But face the truth of it in the hope of us being together as a community facing it together, coming up with ideas of how we can fix the things that we've done wrong and having hope for each other, being with each other in hope. It's not everything. Some days it doesn't feel like much at all. But isn't that what the trees are look, looking like? Just after winter, they don't look like much at all. But if you look up close on each one, there are buds everywhere. And you know what's going to happen. And if you're not sure, nip outside after this and have a look. It's happening everywhere. That's our hope.